Tom Savage of Three Red Kings. Tom, uh, an action-packed opening weekend of the For Now Pro 12, I suppose we'll call it. But uh, we'll talk about that and possible expansion further down the line. But uh, a weird kind of game over in Wales, in, in insofar as Munster were whistled off the park for the majority of it, yet battled back to leave themselves in with a shout and uh, Ben Healy steps up to drain a kick in difficult conditions with uh, with some some distance to spare. It was it was a strange game, but the kind of game that you'd get great satisfaction out of coming out of with a win. Oh, very much so. Look, I think Munster when they approached this game, they approached it very seriously, as you'd expect. Look, Saracens or Scarlets rather are a very very good team. You look at the way that they um, finished last season in the Pro 14 very very strongly. I suspect they're going to be. Uh, very, very close to the top of the conference this year as well. Uh, and they had a lot of top-class internationals playing from likes of, you know, like Ken Owens, Wynne Jones, good player. The likes of Sione Calamafoni, they signed from Leicester Tigers, big, you know, big hard-running number eight. Uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of really quality players. Lee Halfpenny, of course, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so it did, this was a big game and a difficult first fixture away from home. Uh, you nailed it at the start there. Look, there's the referee's whistle was a dominant factor in this game all the way through. Uh, that was combined with the weather. Um, both sides struggled to live with it, I feel. There was a lot of kicking, although Scarlet's almost doubled the kicking that Munster did. Um, and you look at the way that Munster managed to come back in the end. I think it was by 14 points they overhauled in the last 15 minutes with a, a, a player red carded for 13 of those 15 minutes. That's a, a fantastic win. And the manner in which it was won will be huge confidence for for young Ben Healy. What a game he had, you know, like, you know, a, a still very much, I think, a work in progress around the field that will come. But for a young player to have the, the nerve and the ability even to step up and make those kicks in incredibly difficult underfoot conditions and plus with the wind, the, the a wet ball, you know, to, to, to land those kicks in those conditions with that last, you know, last 10 minute, last, last 15 minute pressure. That is huge for a young player. And, uh, you know, I felt that that would be a huge boost to him in his development. Once looking at these guys, you know, the likes of Healy, Flannery, uh, Crowley as guys who you projects almost who you build up over the course of the season where you you're, you're never really throwing them in at the deep end because this is really only a thing you hear from players or from, from from fans rather who just want to see the young guys go in and the same fellas then are writing them off if they miss those kicks or if they have poor games. So when I see uh, Ben Healy get a big stage post in his young career of kind of pulling a game out of the fire, not just for the kick he made, but for the other two really important kicks too, the conversion to tie the game and a penalty after 72 minutes to put Munster into position to even tie the game. Huge performance from him off the tee, um, but yeah, I suppose. Look, you, you look at the, the the refereeing decisions. I think were a factor for me. It was just a sort of a, a lack of consistency, really, um, and some kind of confusing stuff for for players. An example in the second half, uh, a penalty that Lee Halfpenny scored, who had an absolutely astounding game. Lee Halfpenny, he kicked all of Scarlett's twenty-seven points. Uh, there was an incident where CJ Stander was after tackling a player and uh, he found himself on the wrong side, but was working to make sure that he wasn't in the way of the ball being played. The referee says ball is available. So as a player, when you hear ball is available, you immediately freeze because you don't want to be in, in a situation where you then become illegal. 
but then the referee goes and awards a penalty against him anyway. So basically, he told the player to stop by saying ball is available and then punished him for stopping. So it was just one of those weird, weird games. And look, the referee himself, he's an inexperienced guy. He's, this is his eighth game at this level. So you can't hold too much against him. But there was a few odd decisions. And I think during the course of the game, look, Munster benefited from one or two of those handy ones as well. Uh, because, you know, after Omani got red carded, I'm sure we'll speak about that too, uh, all the flow of the game started to go to Munster. As you often see in the aftermath of a red card, you know, where there's almost a kind of an evening up kind of factor happening. And that's the thing I think that's the most um, frustrating for for coaches and for players and that, that there's not a whole load of consistency where you could look at a re- what a referee is calling and then try to adapt to that. You know, it's kind of, you can say, oh, adapt to the referee. Sometimes that isn't easy to do. Sometimes that isn't anything obvious. Um, so, look, it, it was a big factor in the game. The referee won't like that. The referees don't want to be big factors in games. But, uh, yeah, certainly towards the end, that last-minute penalty, can't think of many better ways to finish a game. Yeah, and, and three tries to nil as well, Tom. I suppose no arguing with that. Uh, Dialende had a massive role in, in, in the yards that he gained through the middle and that the, the amount of... I think the NFL term is yards after contact. He he just he was hard to put down. Kept getting over the gain line, a, a huge attacking platform. And even when he was being brought down, the offload was available. There was runners coming off inside and outside shoulders. He is, I suppose, a huge part of of what Munster want to do in an attacking sense. And I suppose we saw the benefits of having a center, a ball carrier who's who who can who is strong enough to get over the gain line, but who is you know has enough awareness about him to find those offloads yeah look and you look at uh damien Yende's passing uh, it was fantastic throughout he was one of our top passers that's an underrated part of his game although we've said it so often in this podcast it, it's hardly underrated on this one but you look at the the way that that damien Yende, i suppose took a leadership role in, in that second half as as the game was developing that's exactly why you sign a world cup winning center and i thought he was superb uh, you look at uh, other players like Gavin Coombs, I felt, came off the bench and was absolutely astoundingly good. Same with Finneen Witcherley. I thought he was very, very strong as well. Gavin Coombs, though, played a huge role. He came on the field, I think, around the 60, uh, 62nd minute. Immediately started getting over the gain line. Immediately started putting fellas back. Immediately started gaining ground. And once Munster started to have that momentum, all of a sudden, started to play. All of a sudden, there was gain line. All of a sudden, there's, uh, there's a bit of energy, a bit of momentum. And uh, when the opportunity came to take the try, I think uh, Chris Farrell scored a fantastic try off the back of some very, very good decisions from Craig Casey, some very good carries from the likes of Finney Witcherly, from Gavin Coombs, some good clean-out work as well. And then that pass to Farrell for the finish. Uh, and that's then is where the uh, the red card incident happened. Yeah, Tom, the red card incident. I suppose that we saw a scarless player sliding in on knees uh, as the ball was being, well, after the ball was being grounded, to be fair. But um, I'm, I'm not saying O'Mahony didn't deserve a sanction for the challenge, but the inconsistency there is, is, is stark. Oh, yeah, look, I can agree completely. If you want a red card O'Mahony for, for the afters on the try, go right ahead. Look, he, he would deserve it, I would say. Drop the uh, uh, a, sh- a shoulder. It wasn't like it wasn't the I've seen worse, but he did drop a shoulder on a player on the ground. If you want a red card him for that, fine. But if you're going to red card him for that, 
you have to look at the other action of the players as well with that um, the scrum half Hardy sliding in in his knees towards uh, Chris Farrell's upper body and Jake Ball looked like he was dropping an elbow on the player after the you know on, on a prone player on the ground as well can't know what a man he was thinking in the moment but he's like I said you're looking at a situation like that you want well, to you're, try you're, you're also you're also the you're also the captain of the team who's looking at a, a teammate of his uh, so taking a, taking two cheap shots going over the line I, I'd put it to you that if a man he wasn't willing to, to go to bat for his teammate or to or to exact some revenge then he, he's not been I mean he's not been much of a captain but that's what you want your captain to do you want your captain to, to stand up and fight I personally wouldn't have a problem with the red card, but you have to be consistent too, and you have to ask why. What prompted that action? There's no. It's not like Peter Romani was trying to get him over the line. The try was granted. Try was try was was a was a good score, but um, you know, if you're your captain and you're seeing cheap shots like that, you're going to react. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. And look, it's just like it's one of those things like that. This happens in the game. If you've ever been involved in the game at any level, you know that during games like this, there's going to be incredibly some some games not all games of course some some games get this niggle that uh kind of projects its way all the way through it there's a bit of afters on the floor there's a bit of extra a few extra shots slightly late are coming in there's a physical tone to the game that's outside the bounds of let's just play a good fair game lads and sometimes there's shit going on after the ball if if you're a player you're finding that stuff is happening and it was happening a fair bit in this game to be fair you look at peter romani Wanting to throw a little shot back. It happens in the game. He happened to get carded in this incident. A, a yellow card. He could have got a red. But again, it's the inconsistency of it. When you see lads who are, you know, doing the same, essentially the same thing and, and not getting yellow carded. Same with the early yellow card. You know, there was an entry there to a, I think it was a tour locker to a mall where he was yellow carded for his entry. But again, I saw two or three other entries just like that in the game that didn't go with a yellow card. It was just one of those. Uh, it was just one of those things, to be honest. And uh, I, you know, I'm not sure whether he's going to be going for an automatic sighting as a result of this. But I, I doubt we'd see any significant time for him being banned. Uh, it was just seemed like one of those things. If he really wanted to do him in that instant, in, in in that particular incident, I think he would have. It, it was just more of a kind of a warning shot, I suppose. You'll have seen stuff like this on fielding games. Look, it's just one of those things. Deserved his card. Probably deserved a red straight away. But you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it all works out. It didn't play a factor in the end of the game, thankfully. Yeah, I'd imagine a bit of common sense should prevail and the on-field sanction should be should be enough, to be honest with you. I don't think there's uh, any lasting damage done to any of the Scarlets. Uh, Tom, I suppose, look, you would have obviously analysed that game to the nth degree, being a happy man over the weekend. Most, satisfa- most satisfying element of the performance for you? Uh, well, first of all, I think that, that Munster started off the game in the conditions, which were desperately bad conditions. Again, this is something that hasn't really been made, wasn't really made clear on the day, I don't think. I think a lot of that was due to maybe some remote broadcasting where the conditions themselves were sort of almost downplayed. They were very difficult. Uh, early on, both sides were looking to kick an off a lot. Munster kicked the vast majority of their seven box kicks in this game during the um, the first 10 minutes, first 12 minutes, actually. Um, they kicked five in the first 12 minutes. They didn't work because the wind was uh, in a situation where it was blowing uh, high up and it was different to the to the wind that was uh, coming across the field otherwise. So it was standing up kicks into the air. Rather than keep at it, I felt Munster reacted, changed up what they were doing. Uh, that made certain, you know, certain parts of the game more difficult, but that in itself was encouraging. 
You look at the line-out, I feel, didn't really function exactly as they would have liked. Conditions will play a part there too, but there were some some poor enough calls that were pretty obvious, and, and Scarlett's got up there and, and did some damage on those throws. Not that we were losing you know, balls every other line-out, but we weren't getting the clean balls that I, I, I think that you would have liked. So uh, as the game developed, kept on conceding penalties, and that's a very hard way to play the game. You know, uh, they're... They're going up 12 points, 15, 18, 21, almost on every defensive phase. And, uh, you know, that that hill that Munster were facing with around 15, 20 minutes left looked pretty ominous. You know, the, the, there wasn't all that much there. But I think once once Ben Healy came on the field and I think once Gavin Coombs came on the field, not that Ben Healy did anything remarkable ball in hand, you know, he just kind of kept kept things going like you'd want from a young player developing, still learning what he's about at this level. Uh, I think one of the biggest factors was is that Munster started getting over the gain line. Uh, they started winning some collisions. And once they started winning collisions, the likes of Craig Casey can make better decisions, can start to play with more tempo. All of a sudden, it's starting to, to gain that momentum. And then part of it you can look at with, uh, with, with, with Scarlett starting to lose their way as the game developed. But uh, a lot of credit has to go to Munster. Didn't play fantastically well on a on a nasty day up against a strong opposition to come back down uh, from four, from fourteen points. They didn't win with the last kick of the game. Look, that is something that a lot of teams would like to have that sort of ability to come back from those defeats without blowing the doors off. You know, and it wasn't a game where I think you'd be expecting a whole load of, uh, you know, f- you know, flinging offloads and playing from your own twenty-two. It wasn't that type of day. It wasn't that type of game. But I felt that for Munster to come back and to to earn that win in the manner that they did was hugely encouraging. And while, look, there's certainly a load of, of, of work-ons, I would say, that Munster will look to take into the home game against Edinburgh next week, who kick more than any other team in the Pro 14. Let's, let's not forget. Uh, you will look at that and go, there's an opportunity now to build on that momentum and to, you know, kind of roll on. And if Munster can finish the first two rounds of the Pro 14 with a win against Scarlets and a win against Edinburgh... That'll be a fantastic start to the season because you'd look at those guys and think those are going to be the two chief rivals in this conference uh, and the Ospreys look pretty good too. So it's going to be a tight conference and any win you can get will be a good one. Yeah, let's just go through some of the other results before we look at the Irish provinces. Uh, Zibre 6, Cardiff Blues 16, um, Connacht, sorry, Edinburgh 10, Ospreys 25, then Connacht 28, Glasgow Warriors 24, Ulster making hard work of Benetton 35-24, and Leinster disposing of the Dragons 35-5. But it's come at a bit of a cost to Leinster, Tom. Yeah, they, they, they picked up one or two injuries. Apparently, Johnny Sexton's injury is just a minor hamstring strain. You'd imagine he's going to be an important part of uh, Ireland's uh, restarted Six Nations in a couple of weeks, should that go ahead as planned. Um, but you'd look at the other injuries. Max Deegan is going for a scan on his knee. That's never a good sign. Hopefully, it's not anything too long-term for him because I think he's a, he's a, a wonderful young player. You look at Andrew Porter, though. Uh, he's got, I think he had some sort of lower leg injury. Not sure what the, the issue was with it on the day. That's a guy who is very important for Leinster at the moment, but also incredibly important for Ireland. This is a guy, you look at the, the, the tight head situation in Ireland at the moment. You've got good players there, like the likes of John Ryan. Uh, you've got Tom O'Toole, I think, who's also suffered an injury. Marty Moore up in Ulster. But I think, you know, I think it's fair to say that the two guys who are in regular contention for starting for Ireland are Tyg Furlong and Andrew Porter. And both of those guys are currently uh, in, injured. Uh, Tyg Furlong, his injury just seems to be kind of stretching out a little bit, you know, where he's had a back injury and now he's got a calf injury. 
there's a bit of concern over that. But you look at Andrew Porter now, a guy who's a, a, a key physical ingredient of Leinster's pack and Ireland's pack, especially when Ty Furlong is out. Leinster, and I think Andy Farrell for sure, will be hoping that there's nothing too long-term there. Um, you know, Especially when it was a, a home game against the Dragons and all of a sudden, Leinster are starting to look a little bit light in that tight-head situation there. So we'll see how that'll develop for them in, in the Pro 14. But for the from an Irish perspective, you'd certainly hope that Andrew Porter is certainly not too long-term, especially when there are so many doubts over Tyke Furlong's fitness as well. But over, other than that, I thought Leinster did exactly what you'd expect uh, to the Dragons. Dragons were... Look, they just, they just really struggled to get any sort of purchase on that game uh, from an attacking perspective. They just couldn't hurt Leinster, and Leinster just powered through them in the end. Um, but those injuries will certainly be a concern. Yeah, uh, Ulster getting the business done against Benetton, 35-24. Um, hard to know what to read into that one. Uh, I suppose, look at Ulster team coming off the back of of, of defeat in, in a Pro 14 final, quick turnaround, uh, and, 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 and hard to know with the Italian teams because we've seen so little of them uh, since the kind of resumption of rugby. They obviously weren't involved uh, in the latter stages of the Pro 14, but a uh, good win nonetheless. Yeah, look, uh, Benetton are aside, I, I think Munster know that Benetton are, are, are a dangerous side who are capable of of, of of hurting you know pretty big opponents on their day. Uh, I think when you look back at the Champions Cup last season, they were in Leinster's group. They nearly gave Leinster the biggest game, uh, the, both of the two uh, toughest games of their pool campaign. So I, 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 when I see Benetton going to Ulster, I was figuring that that'll be a handy enough win for Ulster in the end. But you know, you look at the way that that Benetton I think uh, stayed in there, landed some shots as well. Uh, a good sign for them but uh, Ulster pulled away handing off in the end uh, they needed a little bit of momentum to get back into it after a disappointing few weeks but uh, yeah look I think Benetton will be a, a tricky side to face this year as we kind of face into whatever is left of this season um, it'll be a pro 12 for a while but we're not sure uh, how it'll finish but it's it's one of those things that I, I suppose it's good to see a team like Benetton continuing to build in the momentum of the last couple of years because there was certainly a lot for them to look at in this game and, and I know for a fact that they have some very interesting young players coming through Yeah I noticed uh, the Glasgow Connacht game uh, watched some clips of that and Connacht played some scintillating rugby Oh they really did lovely stuff uh, as in they, they were really really good their their try came on uh, on a kick transition where Connacht are, are traditionally well as of late, anyway, have been very, very dangerous. Uh, I felt Alex Wooden uh, on loan from Munster. I think he's going to be a fixture for Connacht, not just this year, but I think he's a guy who'll land there next season, I feel. He's very, very impressive and was very impressive in this game. Bundy Aikido was like a force in nature. Not only when he was on the field, off the field, you could hear him shouting above any of the 200 Connacht fans who were there. He was like a singing section on his own. He's a, a hugely important player to Connacht and to Ireland. I think he's one of those guys who, not only is he a very good player, not only is he, is he a big physical presence, but mentally he's a huge character. And I think you need players like that in your club, in your national side, if you can. Uh, and, you know, Glasgow, not a whole lot is expected from them this year. Um, they're without the Greys. They're without Stuart Hogg. They're without, you know, they're out Finn Russell for a while now. So they look to be in a bit of a rebuilding phase. But I thought for most of this game, they were quite good. A few errors from Adam Hastings, for sure. Uh, one kick at goal that, uh, you know, you know when you say the things like, I would have made that kick? Like, I would have made that kick. And he managed to, uh, to drill it wide. And it wasn't even one of those days in the sports ground from a, from a weather uh, point of view. It was actually much better than Lynette Lee for a change. But you look at um, Glasgow, 
I feel that they'll be happy enough with their performance. Yes, they kind of fell away towards the end, but for most of the game, I felt they were very competitive and, and looked like they're, I suppose, rebuilding with a style of rugby that will hopefully take them to higher in Conference A next year, which all of a sudden looks like it's the, the weaker of the two conferences when you look at the the strength of the relative sides in there. Yeah, the... I suppose the, the current government guidelines of what we're led to believe will be level three across the country uh, shouldn't have too much effect on the professional game other than I, I can't see us even having the 200 fans at the game uh, w- with that in place. But uh, with regards to the club rugby, which has only just gotten back on its feet, it's a, it's a, tough, uh, a tough one to swallow. But I suppose, look... Um, events across some sporting events over the weekend and celebrations in the aftermath of county final successes and stuff like that has uh, has kind of forced the GAA's hand and the government's hand in another sense. Oh, it has. Look, at this stage in the pandemic, perception is hugely important. Uh, I think that when people see stuff like that game, uh, the aftermath of the, of, the, of the Rockies win, their Black, the Black Rock win in the, the hurling or whatever it was in, in Cork, when you see that, uh, those kind of celebrations, some people get mad seeing it because they see themselves and go, look, well, I'm looking at the, the regulations here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But then some people go, well, they're doing it. Why shouldn't I have my house party? Why shouldn't I have my fun when I've been denying? Why shouldn't I do it if they're having that big moment there and stuff like that? It kind of it adds to the perception that. Well, nobody's following the rules, so I bet I, I guess I shouldn't either. That's why I think it was so important for something. Something had to happen, I think. Uh, you know, it was rumors of, of level five or whatever else, but it, it just comes down to perception, I think, at this point. And anything that damages the perception that, you know, pretty much everybody is, is existing by these rules, if there's a kind of a perception that even a percentage as small as like 15 or 20% of people, that they're doing whatever they want and getting away with it. That'll slowly chip away at everybody else. And sport is no different, unfortunately. Uh, the, the, the GAA made a decision today. They were going to ban all club or they, they were going to suspend all club games for the time being. I think that was the right decision. One of the constants that I've seen looking at GAA games over the last couple of, of, of I'd say, weeks, maybe months, is that the lack of social distancing going on in the crowds. It's just been a consistent thing you see in the stands of everybody up on top of each other. And it's just one of those things that that can happen. Like you look at the sports ground at the weekend, for example, the, I thought the social distancing was fantastic. Very well stewarded. Uh, 200 people spread out all around the stadium. Uh, that's exactly what you want. You look at the, some of the other games we've seen, though. Uh, I think there was a uh, I'm not sure where there was one at the weekend, but you can see the people up in the the in the stands are all huddled in together. And that's the kind of stuff. It's just it's a damaging perception to have, you know, and if level three is coming in and it's level three plus, I think it's it's going to end up hurting the non elite sports. So I think you may still see intercounty GAA. You will probably see the you know, the pro 14, maybe international rugby, maybe League of Ireland as well. But it's just so important now for everybody to sort of redouble the efforts and to go. Yeah, look, it's been it's been a tough year for look for everybody's had a tough year. But it's only going to be elongated the more that people start taking shortcuts with the hand washing, with the masks, with the going out and, you know, having one or two drinks and then you forget about social distancing and all this other stuff. It's just one of those things that we all have to know. 
I suppose just trying to muscle up for the next number of months and try and get this thing under control so we can get something back to normality until there's a vaccine. Even if there's a vaccine, it's going to take time for everybody to get themselves into a situation where we can all live safely and get back to what we enjoy. Nobody likes this. It's not fun for anybody. But I think that the more people you see ignoring it all and trying to pretend it isn't happening, it's only look. I know from it. I know from personal experience. The more you pretend something isn't happening, the more it'll come back and hit you like a rubber band after your, you know, when you're not expecting it. So, you know, it's just it's it's un- desperately unfortunate for every, for all the people who've been doing the right thing, like Castlehaven or uh, what are they called? The, there was another GA club there, Charleville, uh, doing the right thing, winning a trophy, having it gone through the 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 the, the village in their cars. I've seen it here myself where I live. A very similar thing happened. And it's just one of those things that all the, the people who are doing the right thing are being hurt by the people who aren't. And that's not just in sport. That's all over the country. That's in every walk of life for all the people who are having the house parties, for all the people who are having all the big events like the christenings, the weddings, the everything that, are, that have huge numbers at them. They're the people who are helping this to spread. And look, they don't mean to do it. They're not bad people. They're just trying to live their lives. But this is a situation that it's just it's not unprecedented, unfortunately, because we've had situations like this before back in the 1920s. You've got to try and just gut it out for another couple of months and then just go mad as soon as we all can. Like, let's, you know, have those roaring 20s. But this has got to be got out of the way first. And until we get a grip in it, we're going to have these situations where people are going to feel disappointed and people are going to be hurt because the thing they wanted to do can't go ahead. It's tough, but, you know, I, I think if everybody just kind of continues to gut it out, then I think that'll be the thing that'll that'll help us all get through it quicker. Yeah, super, Tom. The, before we go, I suppose, look, there have been some mutterings or murmurings about the possibility of a Pro 16. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be an exciting uh, prospect, I suppose, pending the outcome of the COVID-19 and where we are with that in the next kind of six to 12 months, I suppose, with regards to vaccines, therapeutics, all that sort of stuff. But um, it definitely seems to be the way the South African clubs are, are leaning, which puts Sanzar, I suppose, in an awkward position of what do they do with Super Rugby? Uh, but for South Africa, it seems to be the case of uh, they knowing that it makes sense. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I think the South African teams and the, I suppose the South African Rugby Union has looked at Super Rugby Aotearoa and, and they're looking to continue that on for another number of, uh, for another year or two, I believe, and looking to try and add other teams. All that discussion is kind of happening and South Africa were on the outside of it from the very beginning. Um, a large part of Super Rugby wasn't really working anyway. Uh, I, I think that the distances that people were having to travel, but not just the distances, but the, the time difference was a huge factor in, in everything kind of just fizzling out, especially in the modern era where if if you're not able to watch it live, all of a sudden the impetus to watch it kind of goes away, you know, and especially if you've got a big game against a New Zealand franchise. You're going to watch, the, you're going to watch the Twitter highlights. You're not going to sit down and yeah. watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt audiences. It's going to hurt, especially these days, you know, because there's so many other ways to watch it in digested bits that isn't live when, you know, TV uh, companies pay for live broadcasts where people are sitting down there watching the ads, you know, get in, and paying for it. Even a lot of people are kind of going, look, there's a big game against the Crusaders, but it's on at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. Am I getting up to watch that? Look, you might do it the first one or two times, but then afterwards you're kind of going, well, we're not winning these games anyway. So you're kind of just looking at it and going. Um, 
you know, uh, look, it, it kind of started to lose momentum. And it was a great tournament, but it's just, it lost its luster recently. For the South Africans, coming up north would seem to be uh, a, a pretty obvious play for them. They're already a stakeholder in the pro uh, 12 or 14 or whatever you want to call it. So it makes a lot of sense. The rumor is that there's going to be the four main franchises, the Stormers, the Sharks, the Lions and uh, the Bulls are going to be looking to come up north to play in an expanded Pro 16 tournament. For me, should that come to pass? I think it's a fabulous idea. I think it's, it immediately adds to the quality of the tournament. It immediately brings in two, maybe even three very serious teams that will immediately be in contention to win this new tournament should it go ahead. And while the Cheetahs can certainly feel a bit upset that they weren't uh, included, I, I felt that they were a, a good addition to the league. Uh, it certainly, for me, makes the most amount of sense because if they can get a Pro 16, all of a sudden you can see a pathway to, to, to maybe reducing this down. As I was writing on, on Twitter there the other day, that you can see th- this reducing down to 18 rounds of regular season rugby. If they can do that and maybe go to maybe they'll go to a you know, quarterfinal, semifinal the final structure with three rounds or whatever they want to do. If they run it like that, all of a sudden you can see uh, all of the pro 14 or 16 rather happening outside of um, outside of the test windows, which means that there's no more rugby during test windows, which will mean um, that there is uh, less need for massive contracting of players with uh, all the clubs because these days right now if you are you know monster any of the big clubs right you have to look at the fact that during test windows you will need cover for those games uh if you're not going to be playing any rugby at all during the test windows all of a sudden you don't have to have as many players contracted which will help with the overall budget in the aftermath of covid-19 in particular and it puts itself in it puts you into a position where all of a sudden it's the smart decision for everybody uh, and I think that's when you see the smart, obvious, obvious decision in front of people, that to me would look like the most obvious thing to happen. So, yeah, look, I, 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 I it hasn't been confirmed, but I, I would say it's a very strong possibility that we're going to be seeing the big South African franchises playing in a Pro 16 very, very soon. Tom, uh, obviously it's a, it's a good week for you when you're analysing a Munster victory, but uh, tell us a bit more about what's going up on the Patreon page between now and uh, the team announcement for Munster's next game against Edinburgh. Well, this week I'm going to be looking at Munster's line-out, some of the issues that were present in the Pro 14 semi-final and that were also present in this game and having a look at what Munster can maybe do to have a fix-up on that. I'll also be going to be focusing on some of the individual performances, especially from uh, two very young forwards in Gavin Coombs and Finney Witcherly and what I felt they brought to this game from a physical standpoint and how they helped, I suppose, stamp their personality on this game going forward. So uh, that's going to be on patreon.com forward slash 3 Kings for just €2 Euro a month or €5 Euro a month or €10 Euro a month. There's different content on all of those levels.